Welcome to Buy, Grow, Sell, the podcast for entrepreneurs looking to acquire, grow, or exit a business, hosted by Simon Bedard. Hey there, it's Simon Bedard here. If you're brand new to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, then welcome. It's great to have you on this journey. Since its launch, I've interviewed many entrepreneurs that have bought, grown, or sold a business. And in some cases, they've completed all three steps and started all over again. Our goal is to share the stories of business owners that have traveled at least part of this cycle so that we can learn from their experience. Whether it's the dizzying heights of success or the hard lessons learned through adversity, we get to the heart of what drives success and how to apply these lessons on your journey. So join us for the best insights, interviews, and inside information on how to buy, grow, and sell a business straight from the entrepreneurs who've lived and breathed it. You know, I've seen a lot of transactions in my time, and I've also had the privilege of interviewing a lot of entrepreneurs on this show. And I can tell you one thing when it comes to selling your business is that you cannot avoid due diligence. And it is often described as one of the more painful experiences when you are going through this process. I mean, let's be frank, it often feels like buyers and their advisors are using the proverbial can opener on you just so they can open you up and see what's on the inside. So it's not always described as a really fun experience, but this is what makes my next guest so interesting. You see, James Preble founded Palladium, which is a specialist advisory firm that handles digital and technical due diligence services. Typically, their clients are private equity firms that are regularly doing transactions, but need someone independent and with the technical know-how to assess the companies they're looking to buy. I know you're going to enjoy hearing this story. This is James Preble. Hey, James, welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. Simon, pleasure to be here. Mate, it's my pleasure. I I very much appreciate you making the time and and being willing to share your story with our our listeners. Uh, I I know there'll be a lot of people out there who'll get a lot of of very valuable information out of it. So, So thank you. Good stuff. Mate, um, I wonder, um, we're going to be talking about your business, Palladium Digital, today, um, which, um, which is really exciting. But, but maybe you could kick off and just give us a little bit of your background and kind of what led you to go down that path. Yeah, totally. Happy to do so. I think, um, and a lot of your listeners will probably resonate with this. Yeah, there was, uh, I, I, was, I was a corporate slave, uh, you know, working in, in one of the larger consultancy firms, um, doing my hours, getting my billables in and, and, and taking home the paycheck. And I guess from my background, it always been kind of practical hands-on digital delivery. And then to move into advisory where, you know, you talk about it, but you, you rarely do it. Um, that, that grew a little bit frustrating. And, and you, you reach that point in your career where you think, am I going to keep doing this forever? Or should, should, I do, should I stop moaning about it and do something about it myself? Um, and, and I think as every good entrepreneur knows, there's, there's that moment where you've just got to take on a new mortgage. You've just had your second baby. You know, you're about to move house, all of, all of that tough stuff when you think, yeah, I'll, I'll give up the security of a job and I'll, and I'll start my own firm. And that's exactly, exactly what happened with us. Uh, so, yeah, uh, was born out of uh, two founders' inherent frustration with kind of their, their current working practices and, and a 
and a, a firm belief that they could do things better. Yeah, nice. I I thoroughly resonate with that. It's um, you know, it's sort of a little bit of a joke in our in our firm exit advisory. You know, we often joke about all being corporate escapees. You know, and you know, sometimes you kind of got to work in an environment to know what you don't want for the rest of your life. And um, <laughs> although although I have to say, James, I did chuckle when you said, you know. You've just got the big mortgage and a couple of kids and all this. So all the risk factors are stacked up. But of course, that's the time. Let's just start the business anyway, right? <laughs> I think, I think honestly, something that's what keeps you hungry, right? That's what keeps you honest. So I, I reckon if I'd have started it without those pressures, maybe I wouldn't have been so so focused. Um, and there's there's a real kind of you know your partner puts a huge amount of faith in you to to go and like you know, go ahead and give it all up and, and chase the dream, but. I think where, where it was, and, and so to kind of continue that journey, um, my business partner, Mark, and I, we decided that, you know, now was the time. Um, we felt like we had a, a digital transformation process that, that he and I both both believed in and, and thought could be applied, you know, in, in a slightly better way where we actually didn't just advise people, but we, we stood behind it and executed on it. So we didn't just say, hey, go and do this. And, you know, we didn't do the consultants tell you the time, but we, we came in and said, hey, Here's how you go and do it. We'll make it happen. And uh, again, you know, like lots of businesses, when you start, I think our biggest problem was we didn't really have a focus. So we knew what we wanted to deliver, but but who were we delivering it to? And you go out to market and, you know, I, I can talk really freely about this. You know, our very first meeting, we're very fortunate. We, we Our very first opportunity, we got to sit down with Manchester United Football Club which is pretty scary for two guys starting their own firm. And we started to talk to them about digital. And, and, and quite frankly, it was embarrassing. You know, they were so far ahead of where we were. And, and we didn't really have the proposition for it. And, you know, you start to learn, these are the sorts of clients I can serve and should be serving. And, and you start to work out and find your feet. And I think for us, the reason that we, we ended up um, working in private equity. So, you know, for your listeners' benefit, Palladium is a digital consultancy that, that focuses exclusively on working with private equity firms and, and their, their assets. So we, we're on both sides of it. We've sold a business, but I've also been on the side where I've seen dozens and dozens of transactions. But we ended up there because our model was very much about let's do it and hand the capability over. It's exactly what private equity want. They don't want their assets to be reliant on third parties. They want them to be able to do it themselves. And, we, and it was a light bulb moment. It was like, ah, this is, this is the industry. This is where we should be applying our methodology. And we just zoned in on it. And I guess you could say we never looked back. Yeah, wow. That's a great, that's a great story. I've, I've, it, it raises a lot of questions um, around engagement with those parties and ongoing but I, I, I let's come to that later because i just think the beginning of your stories is quite interesting and and once again i can kind of relate to the old we're going out in business and you you just start talking to everybody because you just think well you have no revenue you have no nothing you've got you know like <laughs> it's almost like i can do anything for anybody it's just give us some business and give us a go um beyond that enthusiasm though to get out there and and of course you're no doubt you're experts in your field, so you could talk about digital and all this sort of stuff. But was there any other kind of core planning? What did it look like when you started? Did you did you sit down together as business partners and kind of talk about what you were trying to achieve and all that sort of stuff, or was it more kind of I, into I, the wind I, and excitement and energy? And 
I'd love to tell you something that there was a there was a plan, but but there wasn't. I mean, there was there was certainly a vision, and it's the same vision. You know, it's so funny. We've come such a long way. You know, we started with two people, and and today, you know, we have I, I guess forty full time employees plus another probably twenty twenty five or so in our in in our kind of contract pool that we that we use. You know, it's it's a, it's a much bigger organization. Nothing's really changed from from day one, kind of seven years ago, which was you know. We want to advise, but not just advise, we want to do. So we want to actually make some change. So rather than do, so there's companies that do and there's companies that advise. And then there's a few in the middle that can talk about it, but have also rolled their sleeves up and, and have been there and can execute on, on these, these strategies. And we've never, we've never left that space. We've always said, that's what we stand for. That's our differentiator. Um, it's got, I mean, the scale of what we do has grown demonstrably, but that, that mission was there. But the plan itself, you know, which markets, at first it was who, well, who will talk to us. But once we started to get to that point where oh, this is a good client for us, like we want to, it was, it's just incredible circumstance. It's like one of those moments where you look back and go, wow, that could have gone differently. But just somebody we knew from a previous, you know, employment had said, hey, we want you to look at uh, a business that we're thinking about investing in. Um, yeah, we want to understand how good it is from a digital sense, you know, because that's important to us in our investment thesis. Well, what's an investment thesis? You know, I didn't know what that was. And he said, we want a bit of diligence. I was like, what's, what's diligence? But our methodology actually translated perfectly. And, and so was born, you know, seven years ago, our first cut of digital due diligence, our first cut of value creation, and um, and really, once we realized what a fit it was, that's when the plan started. So it was probably a year before we got there. We did a lot of different projects for a lot of different clients. But a year down the line, we got to that point where we were like, this is this is where we need to laser in on because this this suits us. You know, um, it's the right clients. They're the right profile. We've got the right model. Yeah, cool. So, so just to be clear for, for them listening and myself for that matter, so Palladium, not only um, does it help private equity firms in terms of improving its digital assets and, and skills transference and helping them come up the curve, but, but your business that would actually can actually do digital due diligence for somebody going into a transaction. Yeah, so for your listeners' benefit, we're the horrible party prior to you getting your investment that, that scrutinizes everything you've ever done in, in the digital sense. So, you know, so for the private equity firm on the way in, on the way into their investment, we will look at what, what, you know, what technologies are they using? What's their digital footprint? How do they generate demand? You know, what's their data strategy and, and their data capabilities? What about their digital operating model? We'll look at all of that on the way in and we'll tell the investor, hey, this is a great business, loads of opportunity, or you're going to need to invest here, here and here, you know, that buyer beware. I think of it like a house survey, right? Prior to buying a house, you need to check out the house. You need to make sure there's no subsidence and it's not going to leak. You also want to know if, uh, if a luxury supermarket is going to open down the road because that's going to push the value up. We do that for, for the private equity buyer. And then after they've bought it, and, and you will know as well as anybody, the multiples being paid for, for businesses right now are through the roof. If you're going to pay top dollar, yep. you're going to need to maximize your, your future exit valuation. And so that's what we do there. We work with those businesses and we help them become better versions of themselves through technology. And that ultimately leads to a higher multiple. 
Our client, the private equity, is super happy. The asset themselves or the portfolio company, they're super happy. Everybody wins, right? That's, that's the premise behind it. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. That's, that's a, a really great description, very clear. Um, and for those who are listening and have been through a transaction, n- no doubt maybe still feeling the pain of being probed by all the financial due diligence guys, and now they're probably thankful that they you know, didn't have a digital guy as well. Um, <laughs> um, but I, but I do love that. Yeah, we we try and make it value focused, right? You know, that's the thing. It's like instead of it's so easy to to pick holes in things, right? But it's much more difficult to find where's the opportunities. And and having obviously experienced the sale, which I'm sure we'll come on to, um, yeah, we fully appreciate what that's like. We're we're dealing with these entrepreneurs. We've been in their shoes. And so we have a lot of respect for that. And, and as a result, we kind of moved our model over the years from being very critical. Oh, you're not doing this. You're not doing that to here's your opportunities. And I think we get a better rapport with the businesses we're dealing with as a result. As a result and obviously our private equity clients like that too. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, you, you, I might be going off track a little bit here, but it's, um, you know, it's funny, I, I talk to a lot of business owners and, and we've helped a lot of business owners sell their company. And I'm, I'm always saying to them, you, you know, you can't just wave a magic wand and you have a perfect company. No one has a perfect company. There's always issues. There's always things. It's about, you know, the big moving pieces and understanding where risk sits and what's the opportunity. Um, a little bit like almost, you know, I sold a car recently. It was kind of funny because the private people who came in all wanted a nitpick oh there's this money scratch here and they were picking on all these sort of things that to me for a for a seven-year-old car or whatever was superfluous it was like you should be looking at the mechanics and whether this thing fits and works and is covered and all your risks like of course it's gonna have a scratch it's seven years old who 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 can get through seven years of business without a few scratches as well right um but understanding where are the actual valuable pieces I, i i think it's analogous to a business right now you know if you guys are able to go in and say look um maybe some of their the way they do things in a digital sense is not great but it's actually not a you know it's not a deal crusher or it's not going to ruin their company you know what are the things you can improve that add maximum value and perhaps fine tune things that aren't so important a bit later that's an absolutely perfect analogy right the car is the perfect analogy operationally like can i get it from a to b yeah you know and does it get there reasonably efficiently yeah and then you start to peel down those layers of the end is it comfortable sure it's comfortable you know and has it got the latest more cons yeah sure it's got a chip on the paintwork it's great it's insignificant we can fix that it's easy and i think that's the thing that we brought to this and and i would say and i think it is relevant i don't maybe we're not off piece as much as we think we might be here because i think it's that approach that we took as you've described there that you know helping I think I think whilst we we definitely represent the the private equity firm on on their investment, I feel as that we've definitely all of the team feel a sense of responsibility for the entrepreneurs to tell their story, because one thing that was missing I think in private equity was digital knowledge, and and it's still today I think there's still a long way to go with investors. Investors are good; they're financial individuals, but do they really understand the nuances of a digital business? Maybe maybe not so much. And we were helping these entrepreneurs tell their story. This is the journey that I've been on. You know, when we started, we were a website with no customers. Now today, we've got warehouse logistics. We've got, you know, smart demand planning. We've got this technology. We've got these capabilities. And we'll tell that story back to the investor and say, you know what? It is good. Yeah, there's a nick of paint that we need to fix here. Maybe they haven't mastered their attribution methodology. 
But if you strip that away, everything here is good. And and that was the story we started to tell. And, and we were almost like, um, in the early days, I used to call us kind of uh, like a translation house between the business and the investor to help them understand it. Yeah, nice. That's that. Uh, yeah, a really interesting way of looking at at things. And and James, just just help me and the, and the listeners understand a, a, just a little bit of a nuance here because I I understand what I believe I understand what you're saying around um, digital due diligence and capabilities and stuff like that. But there could be some confusion here for people about understanding digital versus perhaps proprietary tech. Um, and, and where some of those might even overlap a little bit. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I certainly have seen in some of our transactions some real technical, you know, boffins who are brought in to specifically look at coding and stuff like that. So do you guys go that far or where do, where do you kind of dial yeah, in? Dial I in? mean, look, the, the business has evolved over the years. Again, you, know, you start with one service offering and actually we've got bigger and better and, and more comprehensive in what we do. And, and that blurred line was a challenge from day one. Day one, the two things we wanted to do is on the diligence side, we wanted to advise on, on what we labeled digital, which was pretty much kind of the go-to-market side of things. So how do I generate awareness that I have a business? How do I generate awareness for my demand demand for my services? You know, it be that driving some leads because I'm a SaaS business or a professional service business or driving some actual sales because I'm an e-com business. We would look at that front end piece. We would then look at the operational side of like, who's the team that's doing this? What's the data you're collecting? How do you use that data to like drive out lifetime value of your customer or intelligent decision making? And we would stop. And the blur line would happen between that technology. So what about the core technology running the business? But the second part of our business, the part of the value creation is all about building new products and services for our clients, designing new technology. So actually it was slightly alien to cut it off there. And what we've done is we've evolved the service proposition over the years now. And what we do is we do the full stack. So we'll look at the underlying technology. We'll look at the robustness, the scalability, the code quality. But we'll also fuse that together with the front facing to create what we think is a really comprehensive service offering that fits really nicely with our value creation, which is kind of how we'll take you from finding the opportunities to actually delivering them. Nice. Nice. Wow. I, I, I had no idea you guys went so far down the value chain on that. So that's that's really interesting. And I think, you know, we, I mean, what are we doing? We, we're managing three SaaS transactions right now, you know, and, and there's more and more of this sort of stuff happening. But I just, I feel like um, the ho- whole sort of tech space has taken off. And of course, even with traditional businesses, the digital, you know, aspects of their business has taken off. But there's sort of like a little bit of a lagging area. Like you said, even perhaps in private equity, there's probably a bit of a lag in terms of upskilling and understanding how to kind of dissect this and understand it. Um, yeah. and, I, and I reckon I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing here, but I'm going to say I reckon, you know, the majority of SME business owners out there are, are in that category, you know, like they're, they're good at doing what they do. But, geez, like this is all moving so fast. How the hell do I keep up with it? And, and you know what, part of it is, and I say this to investors as well, you know, maybe you're not expected to keep up with it. You know, as an investor, you're really good at appraising an opportunity and structuring kind of a deal and then supporting, connecting, you know, your businesses to the right people 
to to grow it to where you want it to get to. Same for the owners. You know, sometimes you know there might be gaps or it's moving so fast. I'll never sit there in a process and criticize the owner for that. They're good at what they do. You know, if let's say let's say they're uh, you know they're a SaaS business, you know, that's got an HR platform. Maybe they deliver an HR platform, right? They're good at that because their heartland is HR. They understand the nuances of that market. But if someone comes in and goes, well, how are you generating demand online? And what are you doing about these new cookie rules? I don't expect them to know that. If they, you know, if they're aware of it, well, it's it's great. But if they're not, okay, that's fine. You know, but you can use third parties to support that. And I think more and more, and you'll see it too, you know, through, through the work that you do, there's becoming a little bit of an understanding that this is a very fast moving space and you can't know everything about everything. Yeah. 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 Totally agree. And, and hence the value of bringing in experts who just understand that niche better than anybody, right? I think so. I think so. Yeah. So, so back to your story a little bit here, James. I'm curious, um, when you guys started out, I, I know when I started, I've started businesses in the past. You know, I've launched and gone, okay, like, you know, I'm passionate about this area, which is why I'm going to do it. But really my priority is, man, I need to start getting some revenue and paying my bills so I can, you know, live and look after my kids and whatever. So there's there's that fundamental kind of survival aspect, I think, that we all ultimately have. But did you have, I'm curious if there was a almost a bigger picture end game. I know, I know you said there was no master plan, you know, let's take over the world type thing. But did you guys have a conversation around what, does a potential end game look like? Like, are we building this thing to sell it, or or is this just about let's just build something that we're passionate and we love? Well, it's. I mean, look, let's let's not let's not steal your uh, your three words, but it's exactly what it was. It was it was kind of um, we're going to grow and sell it. You know that, that this is simply well, we won't take the buy up here. We'll start growing and sell it. Right. That's so we didn't have a master plan in terms of a strategy. Like I say, that came. Probably about, to be fair to us, about 12 months in, we really started to go, how are we going to win? Um, but prior to that, I will say there is, uh, it was something that someone had told me prior when I was working for them that, you know, if you're going to start a business, think about your exit plan first, right? And, and, and I've read it in time, you'll see it in all the kind of how to be an entrepreneur type books and, you know, and it's true. We did, we thought about this. We said, okay, if we're going to start this, this isn't a lifestyle business for us. I don't want this to be a lifestyle business for us, actually. One thing we, we, I think I would say to anyone who's either looking to start or grow, scale up, or kind of if they're in the process of thinking about selling, I would say to anybody that you absolutely have to believe in what you do. You know, otherwise, if that passion's not there, you're never going to make it to the end. You'll run out of steam. You absolutely will. This was my second time around. So, you know, I had a, had a little one before that never really got going. But um, you have to really believe in it. And this time we did, absolutely backed it and still do to this day, which is, you know, fantastic. But the second most important thing is how you're getting out. So what's, what's the exit plan? And we were building something that had multiple routes to exit. And I think if you've got single route to exit, it's, it's really difficult. But we were looking at something that could be consumed by the agency world could be consumed by the consultancy world, could be consumed by a trade, you know, could be consumed by a, a client. You know, and again, when we start to think about private equity and that exit, we were like, well, any one of these private equity firms could buy us as well. So we've inserted ourselves into another environment that we'd never even previously considered. And the, I think, yeah, 
there's plenty of others that, that have been on your podcast. There's some fantastic guests, right? And they've all had different pathways to exit. But I think it's a bit of a common thread is that everyone kind of was focused on at least having a couple of routes out uh, and being focused on that. So that, that's what we did. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's excellent, and and it, it is an interesting and common thread. Um, you know, certainly even when we're talking to people who are nowhere near exiting, it's it's about having options, right? Like it's uh, you know, and, and let's be honest, you know, businesses and environments change, and sometimes let's be honest, the environment sometimes often changes and then forces your business to change. Um, but even personal circumstances change, and we often may find ourselves in a position where our entire thinking has has flipped. And so if you don't have options open to you, then, then people can find themselves in a real pickle. Um, so, yeah, look, I think that's, I think that's fabulous. Um, talk, talk to me a little bit about the journey. Like, you, you know, you guys, you went out. I, I understand the passion, the drive, the motivation. Um, you, you had a, an end game in mind. So how long did the journey take? Can you talk to us a little bit about what growth looked like? Uh, I don't know if you can share things a bit about sort of the broad revenue and employee path, that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to a certain point, I can take it. That's, the, that, that's for sure. Um, you know, obviously, when we started, uh, we, and I'll take you through that journey to, to kind of eventual exit. Um, it certainly came faster than I think we thought. Um, I think in our minds when we really got going. So like I say, we, we started about seven years ago and, and it probably took us a year to get ourselves kind of into that into that zone um, where we were building up momentum. Um, we, ne- we certainly didn't have a price in our minds. You know, the market fluctuates, as you know, multiples can go up and they can go down and it's dependent on a number of factors. Um, but what we did have in mind was kind of... Can, can I jump in there, James? So- Oh, and so I'm so sorry to cut across you, but you just touched on a really important issue there about you didn't, you know, have a specific number in mind as to maybe, you know, how far can we get up? But did did you have a kind of a minimum number that you thought, hey, like I need, I'm just using a random thing here, but I need at least a, a million bucks so that I can live my life. And you don't have to share that number, but I'm just curious if you, you'd ha- had some sort of thinking around like what's important to my family or what is the minimum threshold I need to achieve to make this, you know, make sense? Yeah. I mean, look, financial stability was, was, was key. There's no way you're going to give up something that you poured seven years into for, for, for nothing. Right. Um, and, and as in the case, as I was saying, we kind of fast forwarded and, and we ended up selling after about five years of operation, you know, which was, which was a lot faster than we thought, but it was reflective of our, our growth trajectory. Um, which is why we did it. But yeah, I mean, for, for us, it was, um, and I'll come on to the, to, to the way we did it in terms of the exit, and you'll see why I kind of didn't have a number in mind. We knew that it, it had to make, make, make sense in terms of financial stability. Um, so yeah, you know, it wasn't, it's not insignificant sums of money, but again, you know, as we were talking earlier, we didn't want to be a billionaire, you know, and that was never going to happen. But it was, it was very much around, um, yeah, making sure we felt we were getting fair value and the, the effort, that because you kind of look at this and go, I maybe got one shot of this. I'm not sure I've got the energy to go again. So you wanted to make sure it was worthwhile. So that was definitely, definitely in mind. But time frame, we thought it would probably take longer th- than it did. And, you know, after year one, um, where we'd just done a few hundred thousand, we, we, I should say we completely bootstrapped, like no investment whatsoever. It was literally like what we had in the bank, let's go for it type thing. Um, and get your head down and craft and network and meet people and win work and good work delivers new more work. So, you know, we, we started off doing a few hundred thousand, you know, in the, in the first 
kind of nine months and then it was then we cracked the million and yeah some big milestone for an SME and then after that you know we started to grow at kind of 43 50 you know the, the growth was was big um then it was triple digit growth and we were like wow you know we're really on to something and it's at that point that um we were introduced to um our eventual buyers so uh someone on our board a board advisor um introduced us to this to this firm which we'll talk about shortly um and at the same time uh, we said to the market the private equity market hey we're thinking about doing something what do you think uh and so that we had some interesting dynamics on the one hand you've got this kind of this plc saying yeah you would be a good home for you and then you've got private equity saying you can carry on being you but we'll take a chunk uh and we'll grow together so, you know, you had these two dynamics, but both of them gave us what we wanted out of it. And it really came down to what's the right decision for us. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Just touch on a point there about a board advisor making the introduction. So I don't know how many board advisors you might have had, but how important was it to have that kind of, whether it's formal or an advisory board or whatever else, you know, how important was it to have those that person or those people around you on that journey? Oh, man, I actually, you know, we, I should have mentioned this probably in more detail. I'm glad you brought it up. Like, other people have different views. For us, we wanted to surround ourselves with as many people who had experienced what we were trying to deliver <clears throat> as possible. And we wanted, yeah, as you say, always hire people that are cleverer than you, right? You know, so they can keep bringing you up and evolving your business it's the same with the board. It was like, we want people who, who make us feel like, you know, we need to do better. We need to work harder, create that healthy paranoia. And so, you know, we, we went back through our network of people we'd worked with in the past and we're like, hey, come join the journey, be a, be a non-executive director, be a board advisor. And, and we built up a little bit. It wasn't huge, but, you know, three or four that we would lean on, that would provide us with support, some in a more formal capacity, some in an informal capacity. And of course, these well-networked individuals. And once we reached a certain size, you know, it was inevitable that someone would be able to connect us. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. But they were, they were invaluable. They, they'd already been through all the mistakes we were about to make. We still made them, but we recovered from them quicker because we had that support network. Yeah, nice, nice. So, so the board member who made the introduction, was the introduction based on the premise of there's there's a potential transaction here and you guys are kind of ready or was there other was it more of a broader kind of business connection type thing i mean it was incredibly opportunistic i'll say i don't i don't think we were ready uh we we started to think about it and prepare ourselves you know so you start to think about all the things you should have done like getting all of the kind of the financials in order and making sure your your documentation's ready for a data room and you've got processes and because, because the revenue and the and the profitability that wasn't a problem really. We were we were doing well. It was everything that surrounds it um, that makes you a viable transaction. Yeah. Um, but it was opportunistic. So I mean, we should talk about this. So so we we ended up as as uh, as you may know, you may have seen from press releases. We sold our business to a, to a group called Next Fifteen PLC, um, who run I guess a, a network of maybe twenty three twenty four brands worldwide um and um we were i think a really good strategic fit so you know a few years back when they were you know looking at developing their their kind of 
transformation capability within the group. Uh, we were a perfect fit for that because obviously we had a track record of kind of transformation in what was one of the most high-pressured, highly visible, high-profile environments of private equity with these massive transactions that we were that we were part of. Um, and so, you know, they, they sounded us out. Would we be interested? We met them. And we'll, again, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more, but uh, one of the most important things about that process was the vibe was kind of the sense that this is someone, this is a business that totally gets why we do what we do. And it wasn't it wasn't so transactional. It was very much like, you guys have done a ph- phenomenal job, but you could do it even better with us. We can provide you with the things that you're missing, like, you know, the infrastructure and the routes to market and the access to a wider network and the status of being part of a global group and so on and so forth. And it was absolutely everything that was missing from our tick list. So I think if it wasn't, we probably would have kept going and, and eventually explored all those routes we had open to us. But the the I guess the the support and, and the uh, the fit between the two groups was just too good to to turn down. So we explored it. And that's how that journey started. Yeah, nice. But I like how you've described it. it's the it's the vibe. <laughs> it's um it's a little bit of a, an Australian joke with a movie The Castle here, but it's but I, I it just rings so true to me that yeah, you, if it doesn't feel right, you really do need to trust your gut with these things. And sometimes when it feels really right, I mean, okay, sometimes you might need to check yourself on that as well, so you're not getting too carried away. But but if that good feeling isn't there, it's often not there for a reason. Um, you know, and there's a, a, maybe a bit of a crude, uh, crude saying that's often thrown around a little bit, uh, what has been thrown around in our team is that if it smells in the beginning, it'll stink at the end. So <laughs> you're trying to go through a transaction and you can't even make it work in the beginning. Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> completely right. And you know what? Like I, I, I wouldn't, I'm certainly not going to name names, but I, I reckon I've seen probably, I don't know. 250 transactions in the last seven years or so, you know, that we've that have been, that we've either diligenced or served on value creation, right? And in those, there is always a couple where I'm thinking, you, you the investor and you, the, the owner, you're a bad fit. This, this isn't going to work. And if you're saying yes on the premise because they're offering you one extra turn on the multiple, both parties are going to end up regretting this. And, and true to form, it's happened, right? So another big message I would definitely say to the listeners is like, if someone's offering you a little bit more, but it doesn't feel right, you're probably going to be okay with the other party and make up for it in tons of other ways. In fact, you'll be a better business as a result of having a better partnership. So go with what feels right. You know, obviously you've got to look after yourself. You've got to make sure you're getting what you you, you feel you deserve. I think that's very important. Um and, and another thing I would say is, you know, through the process is stand up for yourself, even if you're the small one in, in the party, if you're the small business being sold to a bigger entity, stand up for yourself. They want what you have. So make sure you're getting a fair price. Don't get beaten up. Don't get lost by the kind of the, the, the glory of, of, of completing a transaction. But at the same time, make sure it fits and that you feel like you can work together because it's the courting process is always lovely but the marriage that's the bit you gotta work hard at right that's that's the bit that you're in in for 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 five years plus yep yeah that's amazing advice james i'm really really glad you brought that up it's um you know i've i've 
seeing clients. And hey, if anyone who's not sure about what, what's being said here, you can listen to some of our other podcasts where we've had guests who negotiated the extra turn, the extra point on the multiple, but then ended up walking away from an earnout because they couldn't stand being around the acquirer or in the scenario anymore. And so, you know, great, you're great at negotiating up front, but in the end, if you're going to walk away from it, it's, it's you probably would have been better off dealing with the other people. And and as you said, James, like, I mean, I think if you, when you've got the right vibe and everybody is, it's, you know, it's fundamentally what we're talking about here is culture, you know, one plus one can equal three. So you, you could do far better than what you expected. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other part I would mention is so as we were as we were selling um, and we sold into to this group, and they operate kind of like an um, an umbrella over the brand. Every brand gets to be themselves. That was a huge appeal. We could continue to be Palladium. We continue to operate in the way we wanted to operate. But it was this kind of back end infrastructure that they provided access to markets, access to kind of the companies within the group that would make us better versions of ourselves. And it get, and the other thing it gave us was a business confidence that we had, you know, all of a sudden we didn't need to justify our size, our reputation. We were part of a global group that deliver programs for some of the biggest brands in the world. And so it changed our narrative and our business confidence went up and the revenue follows. But what I will say again is whether you're going into a private equity transaction, a trade deal, a group of companies or whatever in your, in your sale process is... The hard work doesn't stop there. Don't expect everything on a plate. That's something that I, I learned really quickly. It was all of a sudden I'm like, hey, everyone's going to bring me, I'm going to get leads coming in. You know, everyone's going to reach out to me and say, hey, you need to take <laughs> You have to grow. You, you, it's, it's, you're not starting again because you've got the business, but you are in something new. And yeah, it doesn't just come to you. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep networking. Those leads don't just flow. The private equity firm isn't just going to throw you stuff. You've got to you've got to keep operating. You've got to keep sticking to that plan that you had, and that's where the success will come from. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, they're they're going to give you tools and assets, but you still need to use the tools and implement them and actually make something out of it, right? Exactly, exactly. And I think as well, um, another thing that comes up, I think a lot both in the transactions I observed, but also the one I've been through myself, um, is you've got to really think about what, how your team feel about this as well, right? Because we're a people business. We're a consultancy. That's what we do. We, we essentially sell our people and our time. Um, and it's, it's important to understand that you've changed their dynamic. They joined because they believed in your vision and their mission, your mission and your purpose. And we all clubbed together, you know, and it was a bit of a kind of a, a, a us against the world type thing. Then you move into this new environment and, and you're not quite there anymore. You're now in this, this big space. <clears throat> so you're asking yourself, okay, so the dynamics change. How do I make sure everybody is kind of feels part of this and wants to continue the journey. So a lot of the work in the transaction is done, yeah, providing data into a data room and all the rest of it. But there's a piece of work that the leaders of the business need to do that looks back over their shoulder, the the team that's got them there, and says, how am I going to make sure you transition really well into this new environment and feel part of something bigger and and still have that kind of that career trajectory that you want? And I think you, you have to do, if you don't do that, you will lose people. Yeah, that's uh, even some more great advice. It's, it's funny because I've often heard it explained in, 
in terms of, you know, when you're doing a transaction, the number one rule is don't damage the asset, right? <laughs> don't destroy the thing that's kind of got you that you're trying to sell on transition. So, um, and yeah, I love the point. I mean, you know, when you're, especially when you're a people business, if you're not, um, if you're not really thinking about how this affects those people, then you may find yourself uh, in a bit of a quandary. So yeah. that's uh, interesting. So your partner and you, James, when you started going down this path, you you started talking to the to the acquirer. Can you talk us through just at a high level what the process looked like? So, you, you know, you, you get an introduction. How long did the process take and, and what were kind of some of the key steps or milestones? So for us, the, the, the very... The, the... The process was pretty quick. Uh, you know, I think it probably took about four or five months in total. Uh, and I think, again, being in the space, we almost, we were fortunate enough to say, look, we've seen so many of these deals. We know the best deals are the ones that have momentum. Because if we don't have momentum, it's going to start impacting BAU. And we can't have that. You know, we, we're on a pathway. This is either getting done or it's not getting done, and let's find out quickly either way. So again, I would always stress to anybody in this process, momentum, go with speed, make your decisions quickly, have everything ready. You know, yeah, I'll let myself a bit of thinking time, but don't let it drag that it starts to impact the business. So the process was, you know, we, we were introduced, um, we did a little bit of a presentation about us, they did a bit of a presentation about them, and and for, for a big business, you know, with I guess three and a half thousand, four thousand staff worldwide. They were so incredibly personal, and we sat down. We had coffee, you know, and it was very informal. Tell us what you do. Well, that sounds interesting. Let's tell you what we do. And from that point, they 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 came back and said, "Look, we are interested, you know, and we would make you an offer. But you're going to have to share some information with us." And so the next stage is you kind of open up your books. And again, for, for some people, that can be a really scary moment because someone else is now going to judge your financial performance, whereas previously it's just been you and your business partner who are, who are accountable. So we handed that over and, and they came back and said, look, this, is, this all looks really good. This is the sort of size of business we, we, we can invest in and we're interested. Um, you know, let's... Let's really sit down and think about what that could look like if you were part of us. So then came, this is even before an offer comes. How would we fit? How would we operate? Where would we be? And we were super comfortable with, with that. And then at that point, they, they put the offer to us. So they had a, a really interesting model. Uh, and I'm, I'm, again, I, I kind of think I should talk about this because I think it's important to the listeners, right? It's not all about upfront consideration. So we were super early in our in our uh, in our exit process right we, we probably thought we had a few more years a bit more revenue a bit more profit on the books before we'd go to market but here we were having these conversations thinking this fits and thinking are we really going to get fair value we haven't fulfilled our potential and the model that was presented to us allowed us to take kind of deferred consideration further down the line so we would take a smaller consideration up front which was you know, a fair reflection of where we were at that point, but we could push to the back you know, um, consideration based on performance. And this is the point here. Either you back yourself or you don't in this instance. And some people might say, hey, it's too much of a risk. I, I want as much upfront as possible. I need to take it off the table. And others will say, no, I, I back my projections. I back my numbers. I back where I'm going. And, and with you guys, we'll get there even faster. And the model that was presented to us was very much around, you know, 
as you continue to grow, you'll unlock enhanced multiples on enhanced levels of profit, and you'll make you know you'll do better as, as a result of that. Um, and so that was that was incredibly appealing for an early stage business who were getting acquired at such a, a kind of early point in their time to to encourage them and incentivize them to to keep going. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, I'd like to just explore an element here, and once again, respecting confidentiality here. So you know, please don't don't um, don't don't let me feel like I'm asking things that I shouldn't. But I I'm just curious because I've spoken to you know lots of business owners, um, even on this show, and there's always there, there is always concern around earnouts. And, and what I find is a bit of a general theme here is that earnouts tend to fail or have problems when either the underlying criteria that determines your success is overly complicated or massively out of your control. And, I, and I'm just wondering if any of that stuff went through your mind. Yes, it did. And we wouldn't have gone near it if that was the case. You're absolutely right. If it's out of your control, you know, then you are at the best of other market forces, other conditions. You know, it's not you, like you say. You know that, and that I think penalizes the seller. You know, because they they have they've given up control, and then they've lost control over their their ultimate destiny as well. And and for us, it needed to be straightforward. And and I think you know what was put to us was, you know what. This is your model. You flip. You want more up front? Move it to the front. You want to put it at the back? You put it at the back. This is yours. Imagine, imagine like a sliding scale. You, you, you put it where you want it, right? And you put it over. You want more years? Put it in more years. You want less years? And there was that kind of flexibility around the negotiations. And then it was so straightforward, which was revenue profit. And you're in control of that because when you join our group, you, you still run your business, right? So you're in charge of your revenue trajectory and your profitability. And if it's the things that you can control, then you're in. Yeah, yeah, and and that's a really great point again because it's I I have seen I've seen in my own um, you know experiences in life and working in other corporates where um, yeah corporate parent company from whatever country uh, decides to allocate an expense to you back to head office, <laughs> and all of a sudden your margins are wiped out, your profitability is wiped out. The companies, it's just an artificial expense. And so I guess being able to run your own show and manage your own P&L on that front gives you that kind of control without these arbitrary kind of things, which, you know, let's be honest, you can't blame the seller, the business owner for feeling like that's been intentionally done to kind of screw them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, don't get me wrong, in our environment, we have like company chargebacks for services. But again, advice to sellers is ask what they are up front. And, you know, in, in most deals as well, there's opportunity. I want them excluded from year one, year two, for example. I want those labeled as exceptional items. Uh, and subsequently, I don't want to be if, if I'm being if I'm being incentivized on profitability and these are charges I didn't normally have. Actually, I want them isolated for a period of time or I want them reduced or indeed in some instances, to be perfectly frank, some of the services they were offering were far superior to what we had. And, you know, comparatively, not that much more expensive. So actually, we were embracing them. Um, so there's, there's that. But yeah. I think, you know, the big, the big message is get it all out on the table up front. Like what, what charges might I face? Um, and, and what do they look like? And how, again, the question is, how will they evolve? As I get bigger, do I get 
penalized? Do I have to pay more? Understand those. I think it's important for everyone to know that. But with us, you know, it was it was fine. It was it was really good, in fact. Yeah, cool. So um and and just being cognizant of time here, but I, I'm I am still curious a little bit about, you know, you're still at you're still at Palladium, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So still and, and so when did the transaction go through? Oh, now you're testing me. I think it was uh, 2019, 2018, 2019. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So it's, yeah. we're a few years down the track. 2018, yeah, yeah. we're a few years down yeah, the track. Yeah, well, look, you know, we'll, we'll give you some leeway there, but it's a couple of years, and I think that's important because obviously you've committed to a, a period, and, and I don't know if you haven't, uh, you know, plans to do something different down the track, and that's we won't explore that at the moment, but it's, I'm just kind of curious about the transition phase because as you mentioned before being a people business is so important and i guess have there been any really great lessons that you've learned through that transition of of you know what to do or what not to do yeah definitely so the first thing was uh, come back to making sure the staff kind of uh, feel comfortable and transition with you and the team feel part of that journey the single greatest thing we did and and, and i have to give credit to my business partner mark because it's a phenomenal idea is um, we wrote we and it was a first for for and this this our, our uh, next fifteen make transactions so many transactions um, but it was a first for them as well and we insisted that a percentage of what was due to us in consideration was carved out and paid to the team um, that were with us uh, that are with us through the journey and so new people coming in join effectively a realised earnout. So it's great for talent attraction, but also those that have been with us through this journey, they're now compensated just like we are on an exit pathway. Um, and, it's, and it is an actual cutout of our consideration that is written into the SPA and, and part of you know, the team's uh, compensation for this journey, right? And it was, that's the one thing I would, I would say that I learned the, the best thing we ever did was making the team part of the journey and not making it about two people yeah, that changed everything. That was that was fantastic. Um, I think the other thing I learned was um, just the confidence that, that a business gets when it is part of, of something slightly larger or has backing. All of a sudden, I always use the analogy operating with a handbrake off. Yeah, so when you're running your own business, you worry about money every day, cash flow, cash flow. Can I pay everyone? Are we good? You know, even as you start to get to the size of several millions, you still worry. Um, but when you move into an organization where you've got that, that safety, um, you can really operate properly. You can make the decisions the business needs to make. But we've talked about nice things. Let's talk a little bit about what we learn, you know, about transitioning into, into a new environment. Um, ultimately, the, the, and it's, I know it sounds obvious, but it still comes as a surprise to loads of people, and it did to us. You are ultimately responsible to somebody else. Uh, you, you ha you're accountable, sorry, to, to another party. And there is a responsibility to communicate with them frequently and to share everything. There is no hiding or sugarcoating. You're all in it together. And it feels quite raw to start with. You feel like you're being judged potentially and you maybe get a bit defensive. And then it takes a while for you to then realize that actually there's no sense in that. None whatsoever. Actually, this is a partnership. We need to treat it as, as, as thus. And, and start to move forward together. And when there are problems, we need to share those quickly and solve them together. That was a big learning. It took us a while to get there, but now, now we're definitely there. 
That's that's a, a really great point. Um, I, I think that whole managing your own expectations around the new paradigm, right? And and I think you know that that paranoia thing you mentioned is. I, I get that. I mean, I you know I think it's easy to sort of feel like all of a sudden you're under the watchful eye of the overlords, and you know you think you're being judged and being sort of dissected, <laughs> sometimes without you even knowing. Um, but at the end of the day, people are also busy and running their jobs, and they have their own responsibilities, and we're all answerable to somebody, right? So it's not perhaps as uh, sinister as people think. And and I think if you can get on the front foot with that, i.e., as a business owner, get your head around the fact that you need to engage with other people, dare I say report to other people, um, but you have responsibilities to others. And if you can get on the front foot and communicate regularly and frequently and you drive, you know, you drive the impetus for that conversation rather than having people ask you for information, then I think your outcomes and the relationships you build and the trust you build will will accelerate much quicker. Oh. I couldn't agree with you more. We have we have a fantastic relationship with with our, our kind of our, the holding company, but also with all the other kind of agency CEOs that are part of of the network because everyone has realised that you know we're, this is a, this is a listed company. Our, our collective performance has an impact on on the business as a whole. We want each business to do well. We support each other and encourage each other. But when you first come in. You feel like, oh God, yeah, I'm exposed here. I need, yeah, but actually, you need to embrace it. You really need to embrace it, and you'll get the most yeah. out of out of that process. And and um and the last thing I would say, probably on that, is um, which you forget in the early days is don't forget where you came from and why you did it in the first instance. Don't lose sight of why you're doing what you're doing, even through an earnout process. Remember why you're doing it, and and and. You know, the benefit that you're bringing to your clients and the, the mission and the values that you have with your, your team, keep that front and center and you'll continue to thrive. I think if you lose that, then, then you, and you start to lose identity, it will be reflected in your numbers. Yeah, and I think you'll be a lot unhappier too. <laughs> you will. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. James, I've really enjoyed chatting with you today. You've, you've provided so many insights here, and and you know, as a somebody who runs a people business, you know, I can really, really relate to a lot of what you're saying here. Um, I'm, are you? I'd like to ask, are you happy for people to kind of reach out and connect with you and and all that sort of stuff? Of course, they'll find me on LinkedIn. Uh, more than ha- more than happy. Uh, and in fact, you know, I've done I've done a few of these over over the years, and and built some fantastic connections with. with some- amazing people all over the world to be perfectly honest so i'm very very happy please do encourage your listeners reach out drop me a linkedin you got any questions then fire away that's awesome thanks so much for that and and to all our listeners please if you're reaching out to james just let him know that maybe you heard him on the buy grow sell podcast so he has a little bit of context as to to you know why you're reaching out or where you're reaching out from so um, that'd be helpful. Um, James, we'll put your links in the show notes for LinkedIn, the website, et cetera. Um, and mate, thank you once again. I, I just think you, you know, you've shared so much gold today and, and I'm sure there's a lot of business owners out there shaking their heads right now in, in agreement. Perfect. It's an absolute pleasure, Simon. Thank you so much. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Find out how you score on the eight factors that drive company value by completing the Value Builder questionnaire. 
Upon completion, we will send through your business scorecard so you can see how to maximize the value of your company. Just go to exitadvisory.com.au forward slash scorecard. The Buy, Grow, Sell podcast is brought to you by Exit Advisory Group, a boutique M&A firm that helps business owners maximize company value and exit at the top of their game. To learn more about Exit Advisory Group, you can go to exitadvisory.com.au. And if you like what you've just heard, you can subscribe at buygrowsell.com to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn.